If you have your Bibles, if you would open them this morning to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, as we continue to work through this text, um, we again find ourselves at a challenging text. A text where, again, Jesus seems to be, as we often would think, maybe a bit out of character because of some of the tone uh, that maybe we hear Him use here to a group of people that are very hard-hearted, if you will. Uh, so how are we to understand that and to apply it? And that's what we'll try to do this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you there, if you would open them to John chapter 8, we'll be going through verses 48 through verse 59, through the end of the chapter. And God's Word reads, uh, The Jews answered and said to Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I seek not my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so these Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Lord, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And as once again, we find ourselves this morning before your text, before, uh, before a passage of scripture that we believe is, is inspired by you for us today. And so, Lord, what do we do with it? Help us to understand. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate this text for us so that we can grasp it, so that we can understand it. Uh, but Lord, it cannot stop there. It must be also applied. And so, Lord, would you help bring those two pieces together this morning in the name of Jesus? Amen. So I've titled this, The Desperation of the Unbeliever. The Desperation of the Unbeliever. Now, of anybody, if any of you have spent any time in the backcountry, or maybe not necessarily backcountry, but you find bears kind of everywhere a little bit, but especially if you spent any time in the backcountry and you see a couple cubs, what do you do? Well, at first you acknowledge, oh, look how cute those little cubs are. And then the next thing, fear comes over you, right? And it's like, where's mama? <laughs> and you're hoping that mama is not behind you or on the other side of you or you're not between the mama and the cubs. Why? Well, of course, the mama is going to defend her cubs fiercely. Fiercely. And I thought about that little analogy because I've found myself there more than once. And as I thought about that little analogy, and I think about today in this particular text, 
And this idea of the, the, dis, the desperation of the unbeliever. Uh, and I found myself between a choice of words, right? Desperation or despair. Desperation or despair. And after I already sent this title to Gabe, I thought, ah, it should have been the despair of the unbeliever. And then as I again thought, I said, no, it, it, the desperation is the correct word because despair is, by just a Google definition of the word, is the complete loss or absence of hope. That's despair. Despair is when there's just no hope. I mean, it's just gone. It's just like there is no use to fight anymore. There is no use to go forward anymore. It's just done. It's over. Desperation, though the word is used in the definition, is a state of despair. But it's typically one which results in a rash or extreme behavior. And I think rash and extreme behavior, we can see it in these religious leaders of these Followers of God, we could say in our text today, that they certainly act in a rash and extreme manner. These in our text today, they're not in despair, but they are in desperation. All they have ever believed, all they have ever been taught is being challenged. Their very way of life is in danger of being turned upside down. Now, I don't know about you, but I found myself there a time or two when all that life has meant to me, all that I have ever worked for, all that I have ever planned for and hoped for is all of a sudden at the beginning, at the point of being lost. It's all gone. Do I face desperation or do I face despair? And that's what these people in our text here are facing. Along comes this guy who claims to be God, make no mistake, Jesus over and over and over claims to be God. And in the process of claiming to be God, Jesus is telling them the way that you're acting, all the things that you have been taught as you went to Sunday school, as you went to synagogue, as you sat under the rabbis and they taught you, all of that is good. But it's time to move on, and I'm here to flip that upside down. How would you respond? How would you act? And that's what I think these, these, um, these folks uh, are, are finding themselves in our text here this morning. And so I got uh, uh, six points that I want to cover this morning, and fear not, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on any of them, and so you can write them down, because I would strongly encourage you to write them down for your continued study. But it's just simply like this. Desperation leads to name-calling. Desperation leads to name-calling. Desperation leads to focused clarity. Desperation leads to confusion. Desperation leads to action. Desperation leads to boldness. And desperation leads to radical behavior. Name-calling. Focused clarity, confusion, action, boldness, radical behavior. Desperation leads to extreme and or radical behavior, does it not? And so I just want to cover these quickly here this morning. I'll spend a little bit of time on two of those, and the others I'll just brush over here. And But the first is desperation leads to name-calling. I want to spend a little bit of time on this one because that is often what we... Well, could I just be honest? Maybe we find ourselves there, where we find ourselves in that desperate position, that place of desperation, where we are out of words. 
Now, now, I very rarely run out of words. I don't mean they make a lot of sense, though. But, you know, one time we find ourselves out of words. If we get into a, an argument with somebody or we get in a disagreement with somebody from two differing opinions that come together and we resort to name calling, right? I mean, you don't have to go far to hear that on the news, to hear that on the TV, to read it in our papers. Name-calling seems to be the proper mode of action today. And we see it right here in this particular text, in the very first verse. And then the Jews, these religious people, said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan? Now, here you bring in a racial slur into the mix at that. And you're calling Jesus a Samaritan. And who was a Samaritan? Well, you probably already know who a Samaritan is, so I don't want to dig a whole lot of time into that. Look up in your Bible dictionary, and you can look up the definition of Samaritan. But a Samaritan was just a half-breed. It was not a full Jewish person. It was somebody who mixed when it came out of the exile, and they brought in some other people. You can read about it maybe in 2 Kings chapter 17, something like that. And you can see where these people were brought in and the Jewish people meet, uh, 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 married with the people of the land in, in the city of Samaria. And out of that came a mixed bag, a mixed blood of people called the Samaritans. And neither side really cared for, for, for them. And so here they are, people that are kind of stuck in the middle here. And it was not a place you wanted to be, but yet it was not a place that they chose them to be in themselves. But nonetheless, it wasn't a good term to be called. And they're saying, Jesus, isn't it true that you are a Samaritan? Now, there was more to it than just that. So maybe I'll continue just a little bit on that. But there was more to it than that. Because here are people, um, here are people that seen Jesus. And Jesus comes along and is going to flip their life upside down. Well, as we already know, because we're 2,000 years on this side of history, and we can see the full story as it played itself out, right? But they're living the story, and along comes Jesus, and they heard all about Mary. They knew who Mary was, but they didn't really know too much about Joseph. But rumor on the street was that Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, and that would have been correct. So, so put yourself in that context. We can see it from this side of the cross, from this side of history. But if we put ourselves in the story there, what would we think? Here comes this guy, right, who says he's God. Well, rumor was that Mary had relations with a Roman soldier. I mean, that's what some of history would tell us. And that's where Jesus comes from. And you're going to say that you're God? So there were name-calling, yes. But there was some truth behind that name-calling. And I wonder sometimes if we or when we did, I know we, we don't anymore use call names, but there's a little bit of truth in the name-calling, is there not? And I think we see that here, that desperation leads, leads to name-calling. It leads to name-calling, and it continues today also for Christian people. Now, again, just to do a little brief overview of the word Christian, um, as we think about that, because we're called Christians. They were called Samaritans, a derogatory term. Christian was originally given not as a compliment, but as a derogatory term. We see it in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. 
We see it in Acts 26, 28, where Paul was witnessing to Agrippa, and Agrippa says, Paul, Paul, really, in a short period of time, you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? And I can just imagine how Agrippa said the word Christian. Seriously, this group of of no-nonsense people, this group of outcasts, and here I am a king, here I am one of the leading leaders of the, of the, the area of the country, and you're going to convince me to join your little cult of people? It was not a complimentary term. We see it in 1 Peter 4, chapter 16, where Peter said this as he's writing to a group of fellow church members. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. Let's unpack that just for for a little bit. If anyone suffers as a Christian, we understand there are in the past, we don't necessarily suffer as Christians today yet, but there are those who have suffered because they were a Christian. But Peter continues and he says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed to call yourself a Christian? Have you ever been ashamed... I'm not saying, have you ever been ashamed to call yourself an evangelic or any other definition we want to put on things? I'm saying, have you ever been ashamed to call yourself a Christian? Christian. Peter says, don't be ashamed, but it is to the glory of God in this name. In this this name. What's in the name? I mean, we use it in a way to insult people. And we have it labeled upon us at times as we receive that insult. But what is in a name? Some people think that this is pointing to actually Isaiah 62 too. That would tell us that the nations will see your righteousness in all the kings your glory. And you will be called by a, a new name which the mouth of Yahweh will designate. Isaiah 65, verse 15, you will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones, and Yahweh will slay you, but but my servants will be called by another name. Blessed is he who is blessed in the earth and will be blessed by the God of truth. So what's, what's the prophet Isaiah telling us? He's telling us that a name can be a curse, but not you. Not you Christians, not you followers of Yahweh, not you followers of Jesus. You will be blessed in the God of truth. You will be blessed, maybe not here, but that point in that time will come. What's in the name? When Abraham, or when God made a covenant with Abram, he changed his name. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. Names are important. But what's even more important is who gives you your name? Who gives you your name? Now, I don't know. You might have had a nickname, as we call it. Maybe you still do. You might have had one in school. I had one in school that I didn't like, and I'm not going to tell you what it was. No, 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 take that. Because I used to do battle on the playground about that name. (laughs) Yes, I have a bit of a temper. I did. I don't anymore. But names, they can mean something. They can draw something out. But what's important is who gives you that name? Who gives you that name? Well, the people of the Church of Philadelphia, a church of little influence, they got a new name. 
They had no significance. And yet in Revelation we see in the third chapter, verse 12, that as God revealed this revelation to John, he said this to the church of Philadelphia, he who overcomes, Revelation is all about overcoming, he who overcomes, I will write on him the name of my God and my new name. John MacArthur has this to say about this. He says, to those who overcome Christ will write on him the name of his God. And this depicts ownership, signifying that all true Christians belong to God. It also speaks of the intimate, personal relationship we have with him, with God forever. As Christians, we may, may very well be called names. We may very well argue over what is the proper name we should call ourselves. Do we call ourselves Christian? Do we call ourselves follower of Jesus, which I personally like? Do we call ourselves evangelicals? Do we call ourselves Baptists? Do we call ourselves Mennonites? Oh, do we call ourselves born again Christians? Well, that's an oxymoron. It's one and the same, is it not? But these are the terminology that we put on each other, and sometimes we can get hung up in a name. Jesus didn't fall for it. Neither should we. Neither should we. We must stay focused on the task at hand. And the task at hand is desperation leads to focus, clarity. The task at hand must be clearly focused within our mind as what is our mission, what is our purpose. We see it in verses 49 through verse 51. You can write that down for your future study. But here we see that we do not seek our own glory for ourselves, Jesus says. Maybe I will touch on it just a little bit. So Jesus says, I don't have a demon. Okay? He completely doesn't even address the name Samaritan. He just lets that go. And he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And then he goes on and he acknowledges it, right? As, as when we call somebody a name, right? He acknowledges that. He says, but you dishonor me. You, you dishonor me. So, so are we going to pick up that dishonor? Are we going to pick up that name? And as I have done many times, especially as a little Amish boy in a public school <laughs> to do battle for my name? Or am I going to let it go and say, yeah, you dishonor me. You dishonor me, but focus clarity, but I seek not my own glory. There is one who seeks glory and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never die. See, we do not seek glory for ourselves. God does seek glory for himself, and God is ultimately the judge. Not you, not I. God is. We must have that focused clarity that all of our life, how we respond, how we live, how we respond when somebody calls us a Samaritan or any other name, we must honor God. Sure, you dishonor me, he says. Jesus says, but it's not about me. It's about about God. If we keep his word, Jesus says, we will not see eternal death. So, <clears throat> three, desperation leads to confusion. Verses 52 to 53. Desperation leads to confusion. And they said, look, 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 Jesus. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but, but Abraham died, the prophets died, and again they asked the same question that Jesus has addressed numerous times. Who do you say you are. Who do you think you are? So the ongoing question through the Gospel of John is who do you think 
that you are. So desperation can lead to confusion when our world, when our life, when all that we thought was normal in life is turned upside down. Confusion can certainly come into play, and we see it here with these particular church folks here. So desperation leads to confusion. Desperation also leads to action. Verses 54 to 56. And we see it in two parts. We see it in two parts in verses 54 and 56 because Jesus says, who do you make yourself out to be? They ask Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that. He just keeps on rolling. He moves on. And he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. Look, if you want to honor yourself, if you want to defend yourself, if you want to defend your reputation, defend if, if, if you don't want to be ashamed, all these types of things that we do battle with, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I, I don't honor myself. If I, if I do honor myself, it's nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. It's our Father, right, whose glory we also seek. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. You acknowledge that, okay, this God, you say He's your God, but Jesus continues, verse 55, and you have not come to know Him. Again, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. Focus clarity. You do not know Him. That's Jesus' concern. But I know Him. And if I don't know Him, and if I say I don't know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. See, that's the phrase we want to latch on to right there. Jesus says, not only do I know him, but I keep his word. I know him and I keep his word. I want to flip back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses um, 9 through, through 11, where it says this. It says, um, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments. See, you keep my commandments as I've kept the Father's commandments, and you abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you. Why have you spoken these things? So that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, our focus must be on not us receiving glory, but on our life, even if it is by others calling us names. Our life must bring glory and honor to God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. As this revelation is being unfolded to John, and it's addressed to these seven churches of Asia. And in those first three letters, it starts out with a greeting like, like any particular letter. And it's basically asked the question, do you want to be blessed? And those who read, those who hear, those who heed, New American Standard, keep, those who read, those who hear, and those who keep my word will be blessed. That's how the revelation starts out. There are many today, just like these in our text. They say they know God, but they do not really know God. That's what Jesus is telling them. Look, if you really knew God, if God was truly your Father, you would keep His Word. To say we know God and yet not keep His Word makes us a liar. That's what Jesus is saying. So this idea of keeping God's Word, God's commandments, it's a major theme throughout the biblical text. 
and, and it might be a fun exercise for you to look up that word. Look up that word in your concordance if you have one in the back of your Bible or if you've got an exhaustive coordinates on your bookshelf at home. Look up the word keep. Just the English word keep and, and trace it through the biblical text. This whole theme of not just knowing God, but keeping His word cannot be separate, cannot be divorced from the biblical text. Knowing God and knowing and keeping God are not the same same thing. So desperation leads also to boldness. It also leads to boldness. We see it in verses 57 through 58. They say, Jesus, oh, come on, man. You're not even 50 years old yet. And you're saying that you've seen Abraham? I mean, they're flat out getting up into his face and calling him a liar. And Jesus turns around and says, not only have I seen Abraham, but I'm God. <laughs> right? I mean, talk about boldness as this battle heats up, as this discussion heats up. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 58. He says, before Abraham was even born, I am. Here again, we see the name of God, do we not? Jesus is clearly, it, it can be missed upon us today because we take it for granted. But for these folks, listen, for Jesus to say, I am, they clearly understood what he was saying. He is saying that I am God. I am the God who met with Moses in the wilderness, who spoke out of that burning bush and said, you tell them I am has sent you. That is what Jesus is claiming. That is the boldness of Jesus. Desperation leads to boldness. There are times where we too need to be bold, is it not? Do we not? There are times where we need to say it point blank, do we not? We have to be careful, obviously. But there is a time in situations of desperation that we need to be very, very bold. Well, desperation, and finally, desperation leads to radical behavior. In verse 59, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. Well, why were they going to stone him? <laughs> For blasphemy, because he's saying, I'm God. That's why they were going to stone him. It's, it's this radical behavior. They, didn't, they called him names. They argued with him. And they didn't know what else to do with him. So we're just going to have to kill him. Radical behavior leads, or desperation leads to radical behavior. In John chapter 10, verse 31, we see this also. John chapter 10, verse 31, where Jesus again says, My Father has given them to me, it is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Well, we're clearly told nobody can take us from our Father's hand. We have that eternal security. And then he goes on in verse 31, and the Jews picked up stones, to stone him. They're going to they're gonna stone him. And then Jesus said to them, show me many good works. I show you many good works from the Father. Which one of these are you stoning me for? And Jesus answered, said, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blaspheming. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God, that's why we are going to stone you. We see it in, we see it in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen was stoned. In Acts chapter 7, picking it up at verse 54, it says, And now when they heard this testimony from Stephen, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they covered their ears, and they rushed at him. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began to stone him. Listen, desperation can lead to rash behavior. We see it all through the biblical text. Sure, we can be called names. And sure, we want to get along with everybody, obviously. None of us wants problems. But as a Christian, 
as a follower of Jesus, as someone who came and flipped the tables upside down, he is still doing that today. And if our tables aren't being flipped upside down, maybe we better ask, why not? Why not? Why not? Jesus said, you do not know God because you do not keep his word. But I know him and I keep his word. Instead of trying to live our life through the culture and make the Bible fit into our life. No. No, our life must fit into his word first. It doesn't need to make sense necessarily to the culture because it won't. The desperation of the unbeliever leads to name-calling and radical behavior. And you, as a Christian, will be the target. Always has been. You always will be the target. You do not seek your own glory anyways, do you? No. You seek the glory of God. All through the revelation. The whole point of revelation is to be an overcomer. The whole point of the witnesses through the revelation is to witness to the glory of God. Even in the midst of a life of people under Domitian, under Nero, even in the midst of that, here you have people that John is saying, listen, be an overcomer. Let them call you names. Let them kill you. Let them cut you in two. Let them burn you at the stake. That's out of desperation. That's not what defines you. There's something better for you. There's something better for I. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this text. I thank you for the encouragement it should bring. And yet often, Lord, if I am serious and honest, I don't like it when I know that I'm going to be called names. I don't like it when Others are going to think that I'm kind of a freak. But I want to be honored. I want to be acknowledged by those in the world around me. And yet, Lord, we, we read over and over and over again. So, Father, give us the strength and the encouragement to be an overcomer, knowing that you yourself are prayed in the name of Jesus. Amen.